But we're continuing in the book of Acts, one of the most exciting books of the Bible. And uh, last week, Jeff did a great job sharing with us about Saul's encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. Saul was a religious leader who was uh, on a mission to arrest and kill Christians until Jesus knocked him off his high horse and blinded him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And after being blind for three days, a man named Ananias uh, prayed for him. His sight was restored. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was baptized. And only in Christianity do you see lives transformed so dramatically like this. From one who was an enemy of Jesus, Saul, to one who became one of the most foremost leaders of the early church, the Apostle Paul. And the great thing is you still see this happening today. Stories of Taliban and Muslim clerics and even ISIS uh, leaders coming to Christ. Some of these men even planting churches now in the Middle East. We're still in Acts chapter 9, and, uh, but our focus is going to shift from the Apostle Paul to the Apostle Peter. And of course, Peter is one of the most human fallible, colorful figures in the pages of Scripture. We're going to read about two great miracles that were connected with Peter. Jesus demonstrated that he is the Son of God and that he is God by performing amazing miracles throughout his ministry. I don't know of any other religious figure who could walk on water, who could command the wind and the waves, and they obeyed him. He could heal people who were born blind. He could feed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. And he even raised the dead. In Luke chapter 7, some men were sent by John the Baptist to ask if Jesus really was the Messiah, the one they'd been waiting for. And he said, go, uh, quote, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the deaf are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. The miracles testified to Jesus' authority, that he was the promised one. They fulfilled the prophecies that had been made in the Old Testament about this coming Messiah. And he healed because of his great compassion, and he healed in response to faith. But what would have happened after he left? Would the miracles still continue? What if there were no more miracles after Jesus left? Well, I think we need a, a, a balanced perspective about miracles in that Jesus didn't like the fact that some were just drawn to the miracles to see a show. He wanted to do a deeper work in their hearts. And I think if the miracles had stopped, I know I would still follow him because of his resurrection, and he demonstrated he is the Son of God. Well, the fact that these miracles continued in, in such amazing ways today is a fulfillment in John four, of John 14, when Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do. When Jesus walked the earth, he was limited to one physical body through which he could perform miracles. 
But after he left, he sent the Holy Spirit to fill all those who follow him. And that allows his body, the church, to keep performing miracles throughout the world. He's alive now, he is as alive now as he ever was. And he's still, in a sense, walking the earth, performing miracles through your life and my life. As we shift our focus to Peter, uh, we see that he's been traveling around, uh, uh, visiting these churches in Judea and Samaria. And our first stop this morning is the little town of Lydda. And if you've ever flown into uh, Tel Aviv, uh, the Air Ben-Gurion airport that's near Tel Aviv is almost right on the place where the ancient city of Lydda was located. Why don't you turn with me now to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at verse uh, 32. And while you're opening that up, I will pray for us. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts now. Grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation as we read your word, so that your, your words would come alive to our hearts and transform us into the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 9.32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now imagine being paralyzed at that time period, unable to move <coughs> from your bed <coughs> for eight years. And I'm sure after eight long years, that bed felt like a stone beneath him. He was entirely incurable. Now remember, Jesus had healed a paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2 when uh, four friends let him down through the roof. And Jesus not only uh, healed the man physically, he also forgave his sins. And um, also in J John 5, Jesus healed a paralyzed man who sat by the pool of Bethesda, hoping, waiting for healing for 38 years. And then Jesus healed him of his paralysis. Let's read verse 34. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord." The most important thing to realize here is that Peter did not heal the paralyzed man. Peter never claimed to heal anybody. But he said, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter was the instrument of his healing power, just as you and I can be instruments of Jesus' healing power. Notice that Peter uttered an amazingly faith-filled prayer Jesus heals you, get up and make your bed. Now, I don't usually pray that boldly. I mean, I'll pray, Jesus, please heal this person. I ask for healing, believing that God can do anything, but I'm usually not one to tell someone in a wheelchair to get up. I mean, that is another level of faith. The scripture teaches that there is power in the spoken word of faith, but some will carry this to extremes, and they start to uh, pray for, uh, you see this in the name it and claim it movement, where people are praying for material things. They want to uh, live in a house, uh, an oceanfront home, or uh, drive a, a fancy car, 
And then this kind of, you can kind of jump from there to people starting to do visualization, where you're taught to visualize these things that you desire in your life, and the power of positive thinking, or this force that's out there is going to help, help you achieve these things. Well, that's veering off into metaphysics. The difference is that when Paul or Peter spoke a word of faith, the Holy Spirit had already revealed to them what God wanted to do. So you and I cannot direct the works of God. They're his works, and they always begin with him. Now, there may be times when God will direct you to speak a word of faith to someone and have them act upon that word of faith. But we want to find the balance between two extremes. There's one extreme that says the miracle stopped. Jesus doesn't do miraculous healing anymore. That stopped 2,000 years ago. And then there are those who say Jesus always heals if you have enough faith. I think either one of those are dangerous territory. Uh, not everybody that we pray for uh, is going to get well. We know that Christians get sick and die. And some of God's best faith-filled people go through periods of illness and pain when they're at the very center of God's will. Not everyone we pray for has a, a miracle happen. So this is within God's control, within his sovereignty. And healing of the body is at best temporary anyway. We know that at some point our physical bodies will pass away. Dr. Harold Sala, who I worked with for a little while, says there are three ways God heals. He can heal supernaturally, miraculously, in only ways that he can do. Um, he can heal using doctors and medical science. And uh, Dr. Sala calls that integrative uh, healing, God working through the doctor. But what if you've been praying for healing for a long time? You've been to the doctors, you've tried everything, and you're waiting, and you think, why doesn't he heal me? Why doesn't he heal this person close to me? And if you've waited for a long time and you don't understand the fullness of God's character, you can really get discouraged. You can get thrown off. Ultimately, we have to rest in his character, knowing that he's a good God, that he has a bigger plan and we don't understand it all the time, and that he knows what is best for your life. I know this side of heaven, I'm not going to have all the answers Dr. Sala talks about a third way that God heals, and that's redemptively, by using your illness or disability to bless the lives of those who are around you so that you begin to reflect the countenance of Jesus more and more, and people are touched by that. The living embodiment of, uh, of healing, of this kind of redemptive healing, is a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata, some of you have heard, heard of her. Uh, when she was a teenager, she had a diving accident and became paralyzed from the neck down. And today, many years later, she can say there are a million reasons that she's grateful that God never healed her paralysis 
when she was after her uh, accident. She says that her being paralyzed has stretched her hope. It has caused, to know, caused her to know Jesus on a deeper level. It's helped her find the truth and long for the truth. It's led her to the repentance of sin. It's goaded her to give thanks through times of sorrow. It's increased her faith and strengthened her character. She says, being in this wheelchair has meant knowing God better and feeling his pleasure every day. She says, if this doesn't qualify for a miracle in your book, then I prefer my book to yours. <laughs> yes, God still works miracles. Yes, there is power in, in faith. But he also heals redemptively, molding and shaping you in deeper ways. I don't want to be in a position, though, of limiting God to what he could do. Uh, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can think, hope, or imagine. And Jesus could heal you this morning uh, just as if you met him, him personally walking along Main Beach and he touched you. He is the same today as he was yesterday. Now, one, another important point is that these spiritual miracles are also a picture, excuse me, these physical miracles are a picture of the spiritual miracle that God wants to perform in each one of us. And the cool thing is that the healing of your soul, of your spirit, is eternal. And he wants your spirit healed, made alive in him, and enjoying his presence forever. Notice in verse 35 the awesome result of this miracle that all who lived in Lydas saw Aeneas walking around, this formerly paralyzed man, and he's testifying about what God has done. And many, many people believe because of that. One part of the story I find a little bit humorous is that um, Peter told him after the healing to get up and make your bed. <laughs> now, if I'd been paralyzed for eight years, laying in a bed, and I just had this miracle happen, the last thing I'd want to do is get up and make the bed. <laughs> but um, on the one hand, it confirmed that the miracle really happened. But I just wonder if this little detail wasn't placed there for the parents of modern teenagers. <laughs> because it's a really handy verse, first thing in the morning, arise and make your bed. <laughs> is, Je is Jesus still healing paralyzed people today? Two of the missionaries supported by our church, Paul and Ruth I, who are based in Cambodia, were visiting a church in Texas in 2014 and a woman came to the service named Marie Cribbs, uh, who had been in a wheelchair for four years, unable to move due to complications of diabetes, uh, two bouts of uh, breast cancer and chemotherapy, and also severe arthritis. Her whole body had degenerated, and her husband, Bill, had become her caregiver for those four years. Marie says, quote, I could not lift my arms or my legs or do anything. My husband had to take care of everything, and I was in extreme pain. <clears throat> Due to
Due to her illness and disability, she'd only been to church 10 times in four years. But she went to the evening service when Paul I was the guest speaker. I don't know why I'm getting emotional about this miracle, but bear with me. After they arrived, her husband uh, rolled her wheelchair <laughs> past um, Paul and Ruth, and she felt this burning sensation in her back. And at the end of his talk, he invited up anybody who wanted uh, prayers for healing, and they both went forward. And Marie says that Pastor Paul commanded all her cells and her legs to align with the Holy Spirit. And then Ruth reached out her hand and told her to stand up. Now there's a bold, faith-filled prayer. Immediately, Marie stood up and started walking, and the entire church erupted in applause and shouts of hallelujah as Marie walked around the perimeter of the room. And we can praise God for that miraculous uh, answer to prayer. In verse 36... Uh, as we continue our story, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, "'Please come to us without delay.'" So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, he took them to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. So this Dorcas blessed people with her sewing. You could say that she had a consecrated needle, and uh, this is a woman who just exuded the love of Christ, was always blessing people, giving gifts to people. Uh, some of you may know Don and Susie Campbell, who used to attend this church, still live in Laguna Beach. And Don's mother, Joyce, who uh, was 87, started sewing dresses uh, for needy, poor and needy little girls in Africa. Took up this new ministry at age 87. And in the next four years, with her eyesight failing until Joyce was 91 and could no longer do it, she made 4,000 dresses that blessed these poor and needy little girls in Africa and throughout the world. And Joyce reminds me of Dorcas, who was deeply loved, and Dor Dorcas apparently developed an illness and died, and her friends were gathered around her mourning and showing this clothing uh, that she had made for them. And Peter had never been involved in raising somebody from the dead, in the realm of miracles, you'd say this is one that would have to stretch your faith. Let's read what happened in verse 40. Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. So by the power of Jesus, by his resurrection power, she was made alive again and continued her good works. 
And we see that the word of the miracle spread, and again, many more people believed and came into the church. Are people still being raised from the dead today? In 2006, an auto mechanic named Jeff Markin, that's him pictured there, uh, when he was 53 years old, he walked into an emergency room at a hospital in Florida and collapsed with a massive heart attack. His heart stopped. A medical team worked on Jeff for 40 minutes in the emergency room and then declared him dead. I think in a hospital emergency room, they know when you have died. A nurse was preparing Jeff's body to be taken to the morgue. There happened to be a Christian doctor in the room, Dr. Chauncey Crandall. He said the Holy Spirit prompted him to turn around and pray for that man. Dr. Crandall said later, quote, there was no life in the man. His face and feet and arms were completely black with death. And I sat next to his body and I said, Lord, how am I going to pray for him? He's, he's dead. What can I do? Well, prompted by, further prompted by the Holy Spirit, these words came out of his mouth. Father God, I cry out for the soul of this man that if he doesn't know you as his Lord and Savior, please raise him from the dead in Jesus' name right now. A couple minutes went by. Dr. Crandall heard a beep on the monitor. He looked over. There was suddenly a heartbeat appearing on the monitor. It was a perfect beat. It was a normal heartbeat. And after a couple minutes, his fingers and his hands started to slowly move. And then he started mumbling. A nurse who was in the room who was not a believer screamed and said, Dr. Crandall, what did you do with this patient? <laughs> he said, all I did was cry out for his soul in Jesus' name. They rushed him back to ICU, and after a couple days, he woke up. And Dr. Crandall went to him in ICU and asked if he remembered anything that happened uh, after the, during this experience. He wanted to know if he was conscious of anything, and he said, Dr. Crandall, it was the most amazing thing. I was in a dark room. There was no light. It was complete, utter darkness. And it was frightening. Dr. Crandall told him it may have been a foretaste of hell. But he said that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you won't have to fear death or hell anymore. Dr. Crandall reached out his hand and prayed as Jeff Markin received Christ with tears rolling down his face. Yes, Jesus still raises people from the dead. I collect these miracle stories on my blog, on the God Reports website, and there's another one on there about a Muslim woman who was dead for 18 hours, and after she, God healed her, brought her back to life, the entire village of Mus Muslims uh, came to Christ. Uh, if you go to the website, you scroll down to the bottom and see a little box that says categories, and you select miracles, we have pages and pages of these stories 
from around the world uh, that demonstrate that God is still intervening in powerful ways, uh, just as he did in the early church. Now, some of you walked in here this morning with some need for physical healing. Some of you may need spiritual healing. You need some doctoring for your soul. Well, God is still doing miracles today, just as he did through Jesus, through his early disciples. One of the greatest miracles of all is that he can transform your life from the inside out and put, if you put your faith and trust in him. And I'm going to say a prayer in just a minute here. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, but you're feeling prompted this morning to say, yes, I want to start following Jesus, I'm going to say a prayer, and you can pray along with me. First, First, it's recognizing a few things. Number one, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, you may reach a point where you decide, I want to move away from my sins and move toward God. And uh, the important thing is to make him the, your Savior and also your Lord. And that word Lord, we're not used to in modern terms, but it's kind of like you've been in the driver's seat of the car trying to run your own life. And you reach a point where you say, okay, I'm going to move over to the passenger seat. God, you take over. You take over running my life. Because I'm pretty sure you can do a better job. So I'm going to pray right now, and if you want to uh, receive him, pray along with me. Father God, Lord Jesus, I confess that I have strayed from you. That I've wanted to run my own life. And uh, that it hasn't always worked out so well. I confess that I am a sinner. But right now, I turn to you. I believe that you died and rose again. And I ask you to send your Holy Spirit into my life to transform me and fill me and make me into the person that you want me to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.